Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Bushfires, floods, volcanic eruptions, climate change, corrupt leaders and sports rorts, bankruptcy, terrorism, cancer, car crashes, coronavirus, death. How long do you reckon it took me to come up with that beautiful list of things? Yeah, not even two minutes. Literally all I do is sit there, what's some bad things that I've experienced personally or watched on the news of late? And there it came. The world we live in can be a particularly dark place, can't it? Every night when we sit down on the news, sit down and watch the news, if that's still a thing that you do, or if you sit down and get your phone out to scroll through some particular news site, it doesn't matter how good your day's been, you're going to be greeted with a list of terrible stuff. Stuff that makes your heart break for these people who are experiencing all sorts of difficult and horrible things. you make of it all when you when you watch it on the tv when you read it in the paper or on your phone worse when you experience it firsthand for yourself i wonder if you ever find yourself throwing your hands up in the air and just saying why why is like why is life so hard why is it so dark why is it so unfair so painful I don't understand why God would let all this stuff happen to them or to me. When we're wrestling with these sorts of things, we're wrestling with the problem of evil and suffering. And that problem or the question of evil and suffering and why it exists is one of the most difficult topics to try and understand when we try and make sense of our faith and our world. How can a good and sovereign God allow so much pain and suffering in the world? That is a question upon which theologian and scholar has spilt much ink. And in my opinion, it is probably the atheist's best uh, question to ask a Christian, for it is a difficult one to think about. It is a hard question, a deep question. And of course, more than just something for theologians and and academics and atheists to to write about and debate uh, Christians about, it's real. We know through our own suffering, 
through the suffering of our friends, through the suffering of our neighbours, through the real pain that we see on the television. Sickness, evil, death, suffering, we know it. It's not just an intellectual question that we can kind of curiously explore sometimes and then ignore. It comes and slaps us in the face. What are we to make of all the pain, of all the evil, of all the suffering? This is a question that's been around for a long, long time. I suspect ever since Adam and Eve left the garden. And certainly throughout the Old Testament, we see people wrestling with this question of of good and evil and and suffering and how God can allow it. And of course, uh, there's a whole book devoted to this topic, the book of Job. Let me encourage you to read it if you never have. A complex question. And you would think, wouldn't you, that if there was ever going to be the answer that solves the question, how can a good and sovereign God allow so much pain and suffering? You'd think that uh, this simple, neat answer would come to us when Jesus was walking the earth uh, and effectively gets asked that question. Well, we'll see what Jesus said in a moment, but let's first remind ourselves of uh, how this question comes to Jesus. You'll remember uh, last week, uh, as we started in chapter 12, that Jesus is teaching his disciples with a large crowd gathered around him, back in verse 1 of chapter 12. And he begins by encouraging them not to be like the Pharisees, who back in chapter 11, he's rebuked strongly for their hypocrisy for their two-facedness, for their concern more about how things appear rather than how things really are in their hearts. And so Jesus is giving instruction to the disciples to get their hearts right, to get their heads right by trusting God first and foremost. Trusting God, we heard last week, instead of man or instead of money and, and in doing so, planning their hearts in heaven, having that be the thing that matters most, God and, and his plans and purposes, his kingdom. And when his disciples do that, we see Jesus teaching in the second half of chapter 12 that we've passed over to arrive at chapter 13 today, that uh, there's a reordering of, of priorities. And what we see in the the second half of chapter 12 is really a further working out by Jesus in his ethical teaching of what a life looks like trusting God. We see in verses 35 to 48 uh, the instructions that instead of just living in the moment and trying to make this life uh, as good and pleasant as possible, instead we ought to live a life that's ready for what the future holds, that is the return of Christ, trusting God and his future. We see in verses 49 to 53 that when we put our trust in God and him first, that this might cost us even our families. Our families might say, if you're going to be on about this Jesus thing, I want nothing to do with you. Jesus says that that's going to happen for some. Do you trust God 
even when those most precious to you disown you because you're trusting in a better future. Trusting God is what Jesus is kind of teaching about through all of chapter 12. And at the end, he talks about interpreting the signs and it's probably the signs of the times and it's probably uh, out of that uh, teaching that uh, some people go to Jesus and say, okay, well, interpret interpret the suffering that we've just experienced around us. Tell us what to make of that, Jesus. These people come to Jesus and they tell him about, verse 1, the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. They don't know exactly what's going on here, but it seems that some people from Galilee probably have been killed during some sort of Jewish religious service uh, and that, or, or, or shortly before or after, and somehow... Uh, Clearly, deliberately, their blood has ended up being mixed in with the animal sacrifices. So perhaps they're at, at, at this service making a sacrifice, they've been killed and they've let the blood run into the sacrifice, or perhaps they've been killed and then their blood has been added to a sacrifice later on. We don't exactly know the mechanics of what went on. What we do know, however, is that this is a major affront to the Jewish people that you would have your blood mixed in with the sacrifices of animals, uh, the sacrifices of animals that in the Old Testament God so clearly lays out how and why and what sort it should be. And the fact that Pilate, the Roman governor, has obviously, it seems, done this on purpose in order to, to, to provoke the people. This is, this is a bad thing, a very bad thing, a big deal. A really bad way to die and have your body and blood treated after the fact. And it's likely that the people who come to Jesus and and tell him about this believe that this bad thing happened because these Galileans had had done something wrong. They'd sinned somehow and somehow deserved this horrible fate to come upon them. And of course, on one level, we can kind of see how, how they've ended up in, in that place. I mean, after all, you remember when Sam was here uh, taking us through the book of Kings, we see in, in that book that the people's sin leads to judgment. And so they're just sort of extrapolating out of that, well, these people have have experienced a bad thing. What sin are they being judged for? And this is not just thinking that happened in uh, the first century. This is thinking that happens today. And it happens not just in religious circles. It happens in the secular, secular thinking as well. Take the bushfires, for example. The bushfires, it seems to me as I uh, read uh, the the papers and uh, look at Twitter, which I don't do anymore because I got sick of it. But it seems that the bushfires are either caused directly by Scott Morrison 
for not doing something about climate change or for bringing coal into Parliament a few years ago, and that's exactly the cause of the bushfires, or go to the other end, it's because some politicians recently passed a, a law about abortion or euthanasia. And that's why the bushfires have come. Depends who you ask and what your particular hobby horses are as to who you want to blame for these horrible things coming upon people. Of course, this sort of thinking is karma, isn't it? Bad stuff comes to those who deserve it and good stuff comes to those who do good. But Jesus says, no, this is not the way it works at all. Have a look, verse 2. Jesus says, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. I mean, you can imagine, can't you? They've come to Jesus. They've told him about this horrible thing that's happened with the Galileans. And Jesus is replying, you think they're worse sinners? And you can imagine, yes, we do. And then Jesus says, no. And you can sort of say, oh, no, we never said we weren't. We never thought that. Whatever the answer to our questions about evil and suffering and how it is that uh, God allows these things to happen, the answer can't be because some people deserve it more than others. You don't get to sit at home on a Monday night enjoying your relevant, relative comfort and good life and uh, read about wars and famines in other parts of the world and go, well, they obviously deserve that. Those who suffer terrible fates, Jesus says, are not more guilty. Notice the way Jesus answers. Verse 2, do you think they were worse sinners? Verse 4, do you think they were more guilty? Those who suffer terrible fates are not worse sinners. They're not more guilty. They're sinners and guilty, just like you and me. All of us bear the same guilt. That's what the Bible tells us, doesn't it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In fact, as we look at the human state before God of, of rebelling against him, if anything, it's actually a miracle or a testimony to his grace and patience that our lives aren't a whole lot worse. What are we to make of the bad stuff that happens? Well, Jesus doesn't give us a nice, neat textbook answer. But he does give us a few things to think about as we reflect on 
uh, our lives and the suffering we experience. And of course, the most important is those words that Jesus says twice, verse 3, verse 5. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. You see, suffering and death Jesus says, are reminders to us that we all face the same fate. Yeah, someone may have died by having a towel fall on them or having their blood mixed by into sacrifices or in a bushfire or a car crash or with cancer. But you're going to die too one day. The same fate will come upon you as came upon them. And Jesus says, when you experience this suffering, this death, it's actually a reminder to you that in this life you have one chance. And you need to make sure that you're right with God. Unless you repent, you too will perish. As one commentator reflects on this, he says... More important than determining death's cause or timing is dealing with the fact of death and subsequent judgment. This quickly levels the playing field and calls on each person to consider where God stands in the equation, or better, where one stands before him. Unless you repent, you too will perish. When we uh, uh, lead a funeral service, Uh, The prayer book's got this sort of opening statement where it says, you know, he used to say, welcome everyone, today we've come to remember the life of Fred, uh, to give, well, I better not say Fred, there's a a Fred here, to remember the life of Bill, no Bills, Uh, to give thanks for uh, uh, him, to to mourn him, to honour him, and then very quickly it pivots We face the certainty of our own death and judgment. Yet Christians believe that those who die in Christ share eternal life with him. Therefore, in faith and hope, we turn to God who created and sustains us all. See, when the the prayer book uses that welcome, it's picking up on the language of Jesus here, isn't it? That when faced with the most terrible of things, death, the loss of loved ones. It's a reminder that that's what's coming to all of us and that we need to repent of our sins and trust in God. What to make of the second half of the reading today? Jesus says, okay, you see bad stuff in the world, it's a reminder to repent. Then he says, tells this parable, I'll just read it again for you. Then he told them this parable, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and he went to look for the fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down, why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. 
it sort of seems like a bit of a random story. It's like, I don't know, Jesus thirsty and he wanted a drink. And so he tells this story about a vineyard. What, how did, why does he pivot from uh, suffering to vineyards and fig trees? Well, our first reading in Isaiah gives us a little bit of a clue, doesn't it? Because there we see uh, uh, something that, that is present throughout the Old Testament, the idea of, of the unfruitful vineyard being the people of God who have failed to deal with their sin and to trust in God, and so God comes and judges them. This is what... Jesus is picking up on when he tells them this parable and what he's saying is don't wait too long to repent. God is patient. You're still alive today but you don't have an eternity. If you continue in your sin, if you continue Unrepentant. If you continue to hear the good news about Jesus and ignore it, if you continue to fail to trust God, then eventually you'll be ripped up, cut down and judged. Just like the fruitless fig tree. But God is patient. Leave it alone one more year. Judgment will draw near unless there is change, unless there is repentance. Don't take for granted the patience of God and take the words of Jesus seriously. Unless you repent, you too will perish. All sin and suffering... They are horrible beasts. And God in his goodness is being patient with us while he waits for us to turn from our sin and to trust in him. I think it also bears uh, uh, well to say as we're reflecting on these, this big topic that with Jesus we also have someone who is with us in the depths of our suffering. If you are here today feeling the effects of evil, suffering in some particularly bad way, then know this. Jesus gets it. He's been there. In fact, he's actually been further than, than us. On the cross... Jesus cries out, we read in Matthew 27, verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Jesus hangs there in the deepest of sufferings, with his body beaten, in total agony, suffocating, yet not just physical pain, the The weight of the sin of humanity, past, present and future, resting on his shoulders and separating him from God. 
In that moment, as he cries out, why have you forsaken me? He bears the sin of the world and for the first time in his life experiences total separation from God. He bears all the evil on his shoulders, all the pain, all the suffering, all by himself. So that you and I don't have to. We'll still experience suffering, but we never experience it alone. That's why Paul writes these words in Romans 8. I'll read from verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither things present nor things future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter how bad it gets. No matter how dark a day. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Jesus went there for us. Separation will come. For those who don't repent. And trust in Jesus. But if you accept the gift, Jesus pays it all. And God promises that even in the worst of times, and let me tell you, the Apostle Paul experienced the worst of times. God promises abundant, unending love that will carry you through the darkest of days. This is a gift Jesus wants to offer you. That you trust him. That you follow him. As we think about our world and all its pain and suffering and the horrible things that we've experienced and that we've witnessed, let them be for us a reminder to trust the Lord Jesus to repent of our sins and to walk in the love of God lest we experience a far more horrible thing than anything we ever witnessed separation from God forever don't do that God doesn't want you to do that rather walk into his love through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.
Stay there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you're encouraged by God as He spoke to you by His Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our www.lindisfarnanglican.org.au or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless you.